From WGN-TV News in Chicago, this is Better Off Balanced. I'm Marcus Lashak. With all the ways that we communicate with each other, we still find ways to avoid connecting. It's this lack of connection that has led to a major issue that many don't want to admit that they have, loneliness. It's hard to admit that you're lonely, but it doesn't have to be hard to break out of it. There are ways to bring back those human connections that all of us need. Dr. Jacqueline Olds is a practicing psychiatrist and associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. On this episode of Better Off Balance, we discuss the dangers of loneliness and what you can do about it for yourself or someone else you care about. We talk about when to get professional help, how to get help when you can't afford it, the challenges brought by the pandemic, and what to do about social media. Dr. Olds, welcome to Better Off Balance. How are you? I'm good, and thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, it is great to speak with you. I've been reading so much of your work over the last few days or so, but uh, we're here to really talk about loneliness, and I just want to jump right into it. When we hear that word loneliness, you know, we often think somebody who's by themselves all the time, has nobody around them, but that's not necessarily always the case. So I just want to get maybe, what is your definition of loneliness? How would you describe what loneliness is? Well, I would say it's somebody who feels alone, no matter what their actual circumstance. They might be in a crowd and feel very lonely, but basically they are sad about their feeling of being alone, whether they are objectively alone or not. You have been into this topic for a long time. I know one of your books goes back to about 1996 or so. So I guess just like how common is this uh, for people to feel a sense of loneliness? much more common than we used to think. I think everybody has feelings of loneliness sometimes, and that's not so unusual, but usually they're transient, they pass pretty quickly, and they don't stick around so long that a person gets depressed. But there are getting to be more and more people, and especially since the pandemic, who really have a chronic feeling of loneliness and have to figure out ways to cope with it so that they don't feel like they're underwater. And how would you describe that difference of, you know, say if I'm sitting at home one day, my family's not there, and I'm just like, oh, man, I wish somebody was here. The difference between something like that and the more serious loneliness, like how do you determine between those two types of things? Like when when does it get to a situation where it's more serious? Does that make sense? Well, it's interesting. A lot of the people who I'm a psychiatrist and a lot of the people psychiatrists work with have more chronic feelings of loneliness. And for some of them, when the pandemic struck, they essentially felt like their lives had been a long practice session for the pandemic because they were so ready for feeling more isolated since they'd already had much too much practice at it. I think the chronic feelings are a feeling that you know, you're not going to be able to make some close connections and you're never going to have people to tell about your most intimate feelings and you're just kind of an island and you hate being an island. Is there is there a certain type of person that is more susceptible to this that you found um, or can this really affect anybody? It can affect anybody and it partly has to do with just uh, circumstances. You know, if you move to a brand new place, it takes so much longer often to make friends than you think. If you are in some situation in your life where, you know, let's say you're quite ill and have to be at home much more than you used to be, you might feel much more lonely than you used to. So many external circumstances can lead to a chronic sense of loneliness. But then there are the people who have been sort of taught 
not to tell their secrets to anybody and not to confide in anybody. And those people are a little more susceptible to loneliness. And people who live alone are a little more susceptible. You've brought up the pandemic multiple times now. I was just looking, uh, actually, this was a study from Harvard. Uh, I was looking at this morning, uh, going back to 2021, that uh, found amongst young people and, and loneliness. I don't know if you're seeing a lot of this, and but 43% of young people reported an increase in loneliness since the pandemic. What have you seen since the shutdown, since the lockdowns? And now that we're kind of coming out of that, are people having a hard time sort of readjusting and that sort of lonely feeling is sticking with them or how how is what's going on with that right now well those are really great questions and i think we're still trying to answer them i think people there's a kind of inertia when you've been taught to be so cautious and stay at home and not get exposed to covid but a lot of people got into the habit of the convenience of staying home all the time but that convenience came with the price of feeling lonely a lot of the time. And it led to more drinking. It led to less exercise. It led to less contact with old friends and family. It had a lot of very bad consequences for mental health. And we find that people are having a terrible time shifting gears. And even with the CDC telling us that we can go out and about and we can certainly socialize outside and even start going inside, people are having a hard time doing it. How does somebody know when they do have a problem with loneliness? Like, how do you know when I need to get help for this? I need to go talk to somebody about this. Like what, what is the moment when you should know that? So if your sleep has been disturbed for much longer than two or three weeks, or if your appetite is not quite what it used to be, it's kind of weak, and you know, you don't even enjoy eating anymore. Or if you have a feeling of dread when you wake up in the morning and you're just hating the thought of the day. And if you feel horrible envy every time you see evidence on social media or the news or in your neighborhood that other people are enjoying themselves and you can't remember when you last enjoyed yourself, those are all big danger signals. Do you notice a difference between men and women when it comes to loneliness? Does one gender uh, tend to be more lonely than the other? You see this amongst uh, different demographics of people. Well, certainly loneliness crosses to everybody. But what is so interesting is that before the pandemic, women had a kind of deeper and more varied social network than men. And so during the pandemic, they were lonelier because they missed those friends. Whereas many men mostly uh, socialized with their immediate nuclear family. And when that family socialized and then with the people they saw at work. So they maybe were a little more used to not having many intimate friends besides their in nuclear family, but they are not as prone to admitting that they feel lonely. And our society kind of allows women to complain about it more. And men are supposed to be macho and strong no matter how lonely they feel. And so just the, the idea of loneliness too, obviously this is a mental health issue, but this can also lead to physical health issues as well. Like if you let it go too far, correct? Like, would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. There's a woman named Julia Holt-Lundstadt who did studies uh, that were published in 2015. And she found that whether you said you were lonely or you were actually socially isolated or you lived by yourself, you had about a 26 to 30% greater chance of dying in the next 10 years, a greater chance than people who were well-connected. 
Do you recommend, uh, speaking of getting connected, do you recommend social media for that? Like, Because I, I know this can probably go both ways. Uh, I know uh, it's easy to look on social media and scroll through and see everybody's pictures, and it looks like they're together with tons of people, and they're living perfect lives that I don't have, and then I feel miserable. But there's also, um, I know I spend a lot of time on social media in community groups. So I'm a member of like things I have a hobby of. For example, I'm a big theme park enthusiast, so I'm in uh, groups related to that and I spend time in there and I spend time in there talking to people about different topics and I feel connected to these people and I do feel a part of that community so I just wonder like where do you stand on like social media its impact on all of this because I assume there's a lot of harm and I, I assume there is some good perhaps but I just what what do you think about it it's such a good topic and has been written about by much smarter people than I but let me say that for adolescents it's particularly uh at times undermining because every teenager is wondering if they're having any fun and whether anybody likes them. And so when they scroll through social media, it looks like everyone is doing better than them. However, for very socially adept grown-ups, adults, social media can be just fine. And it turns out the people who are most well socially connected are also the ones who are most expert in using social media like you. But social media for a lonely person can be a torture because it really does look like everybody's having fun but you. In the olden days when we didn't have social media, we could just speculate that maybe everybody was having fun but us, but we didn't have any proof. So when people come to you and they are really struggling with loneliness, do you recommend that they take time off, like check out on the social apps and things like that? So that is certainly not my first suggestion. I'm always uh, likely to suggest that they join an actual in-person group or that they look on meetup and find out if they could have a walk up walk a walking group or a you know listening to music group or going to the movies group or a having dinner together group so i'm much more in favor of advising people to join a group because that means they'll get to see a group of people regularly and they're more likely to make friends but secondly I want them to have in-person contact, which is so much more embracing in a way than seeing somebody on the screen. And I see that even in my own practice. I'm much more effective in person than I am on the screen. Gosh, that is so true. And I think I think a lot of us who have children saw that when they were at home remote learning and the difference between that and being in person, seeing other peers next to you and teachers there. There's just, there's something about it that you can't replicate with a screen with VR goggles or anything. It's just not the same as being physically in person, right? It's totally true. And, you know, I am so worried that during the pandemic, everybody got so used to the convenience of never going anyplace that they have forgotten how fantastic it is to be with people. You've written a few books on this topic. I'll just go ahead and mention your books here. Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life. Also, The Lonely American, Drifting Apart in the 21st Century. And as I mentioned, you've been doing this since for quite a long time now how i guess how have your like have your findings evolved over time have you found that loneliness is getting worse um is it getting better you you i'm sure you're learning a lot more about uh, how to tackle this and everything else so i guess how have your thoughts on loneliness evolved over that time so when we first started writing about it everybody knew that loneliness existed but it was not talked about because if you admitted to anyone that you were lonely it was sort of like admitting that you were a social loser and so everybody You know, they would come in and they would complain about depression and trauma. They had so many psychiatric words, but they never used the word lonely. 
when, you know, after a few weeks as a psychiatrist, we would realize that that was the main problem, but they didn't want to mention it. So gradually, we wanted to kind of take loneliness out of the closet and have people be able to be comfortable talking about it and understand that everybody feels it at some time. There's no way to have a life without feeling lonely some of the time or even left out a lot of the time. I think I said to a friend, you know, we were so surprised to find out how often people feel left out, you know, several times a week. And she said, oh, my gosh, I thought that was just me. So everybody you know, is a little embarrassed to realize how easily they can feel left out or lonely. I do feel like we are in a better place right now as far as being more open and talking about these things. I mean, in the 80s, you know, I, when I was growing up, like I couldn't imagine like a TV station having a podcast where we're talking about this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just wouldn't exist. So um, I do think it's things totally are, true. yeah, I do think things are kind of getting better in that way, right? I do. And it's not so embarrassing, but it still is quite prevalent and COVID made it worse. And the fact that social media is out there and everybody feels a little left out when they look through social media means that in some ways it is getting worse. And I think adolescents who communicate through their cell phones and texts instead of hanging out and having, you know, free play and freedom outside, that's been terrible in America, that we don't let children just roam around the neighborhood with each other doing whatever they want, but it's all kind of choreographed by the parents. So let's tackle some options here. Um, as far as if you are struggling with this and dealing with this, like what are what are the first steps you would say for somebody who they're maybe they're listening to this or they've been thinking about this for a while? Like, how do I break out of this? Like, what are the first steps to that? So the first steps are to reconnect and understand that you need to reconnect often with the people you know best. So those might be your closest relatives and your, you know, extended family and your best friends. You mustn't just assume that those people, of course, know you love them and that even if you never call them or text them or speak to them, that they will know it. The fact is, as you reconnect with those people, you will feel strong enough to maybe join a group with new people that you might make friends with over the next few years. But to make new friends, you often have to join some sort of group or it can be a tiny group and it doesn't even matter what the cause is. You know, the cause could be planting new trees on your street, you know, making sure that the children have safety when they're running their lemonade stand in the summer. Who knows what it is? But if you meet regularly with people over months and years, sooner or later, some of them will become good friends. Can you talk a little bit about this phrase? Uh, it was brought to my attention, uh, behavioral activation. What What is that? How does How does that work? So that's one of those completely useless psychiatry phrases that doesn't mean anything to most people. But what it, what it means in psychiatry, if we translate it from psychiatry talk to English, it means getting people out and about. It means if somebody, you know, is depressed and lonely sitting in their apartment thinking, why does everybody hate me? Why do I have no friends? You suggest that they walk around the neighborhood for half an hour every day. You suggest that when they see somebody that even looks vaguely familiar, they smile and say hello. You suggest that they talk to the cashier in their drugstore and that they schmooze with the mailman and that they offer when they see a friend going on vacation to water their plants. So essentially you're you're using your everyday activities to connect with people. And a lot of that requires confidence, right? Like confidence to get out and kind of take that first step. How do you kind of in inspire that confidence in yourself to do that? To, you know, either approach people or say, hey, can I 
I mean, I gosh, I go back to childhood when I think about this, probably. Like, that was nerve-wracking, right, to see another group of kids. Like, I want to go up to them and say, hey, can I do this? Can I play with you or what you're doing? And uh, as an adult, you have to do that sometimes, right? You have to step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, listen, I like this stuff too. Can I talk to you about it or whatever? Like, how do you get that confidence to do that? Well, often you have to have a pep talk back from somebody you like mm-hmm. and know and somebody who knows that you're a little bit shy and reluctant and insecure. And then you need to kind of recognize that everybody loves doing favors, that if you ask a favor of your neighbor, that neighbor will feel a little bit honored that you asked a favor. And then if you say, and by the way, you know, it would be great if you watered my plants, but can I do that for you next time you go away? You've set up a kind of circuit where you're going to get to know the person better. And you probably it's going to improve your relationship with that neighbor, even if it just means you know their name and their plants. The other situation that can occur sometimes is uh, we talk about couples, either married couples or couples living together. And one person in the couple can have this lonely feeling, right? And that is normal to happen. But how do you approach that with your spouse? Or if you are the spouse and your significant other is having this feeling, like how do you address it without feeling hurt? right? Like, what do you mean you're, I'm here with you and you're feeling lonely and it's complicated. So like, how do, how do you, what is the recommendation for that when you have a situation where one person in the home is really feeling this, uh, but they're not living alone. They're, they're living with other people. So oftentimes you just have to listen for a little while and put some time aside to really explore what they mean. And usually what they might mean is, you know, I'm with you all the time, but you never tell me what you really feel. And you really think, in fact, you just sit there in silence and I don't know what to make of it. And so after you've heard what he or she is missing, then you can kind of look within yourself and see whether it might be a little true that you've stopped putting effort into the relationship to talk about things. I often say to couples when I'm working with a couple, I say, you know, you two are both so incredibly socially skilled at your work and with the neighbors. And, you know, I can see from the way you talk to me that you're just kind of a genius at talking with all sorts of people. Why do you never bring any of those skills to your primary relationship with each other. And oftentimes they say, well, I, I can be myself with my partner. I don't have to, uh, you know, go through all that trouble of thinking of something to say and figuring out how to say it. It's so heavenly just to sit there like a lump. And the partner will say, well, you know, that does make me feel lonely when you sit there like a lump. And in a way, my pep talk in the couples therapy is to try to get them to keep being curious about their partner and also talking to their partner with the same animation they bring to relationships with strangers and friends. It's like activating the behavior, right? The behavioral activation a little bit? A little bit, a (laughs) little bit, but you have to, you can't just, because you're being yourself with your partner doesn't mean you can go into complete hibernation. Yeah, right, exactly. At what point do you recommend somebody get help? where you try some of these things and maybe that doesn't work. Uh, when, when does somebody know like, okay, I need to go talk to somebody like yourself. I think many times people, when they're feeling down and out, you know, depressed for some reason will feel worried that if they bother their family members or their friends too much, it'll impose too much and it'll wear the other people out. And at that point, when they feel a pressure to talk about what's making them so unhappy, but they're scared to, impose on their friends and neighbors and partners. Uh, That's the time to go see a therapist. But in my heart of hearts, I think people are a little bit too careful not to impose on their friends and partners. The fact is that a friendship and a partnership is deepened and improved by talking about what really matters. 
And just one thing I just wanted to follow up on, because there are a lot of people out there who, you know, they can't, they don't have the, the financial resources or they don't have the insurance that will pay for, you know, to go see a professional. Do you know of like options for people like that? Like somebody maybe is listening to this. Like I would, I really feel like I need to talk to somebody, but I just can't afford it. Like, are there places that pe- those people like that can go? Almost every university medical school has several hospitals where they do their teaching called teaching hospitals. And at those teaching hospitals, the outpatient psychiatry clinics usually give away, you know, 25 to 50% free care. So if you go to one of those centers, you are likely to get a young and enthusiastic doctor who maybe is not, you know, incredibly seasoned in psychiatry, but is in fact a full-fledged doctor or social worker or nurse. And they probably could be very helpful. Let's say I'm somebody who, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's a couple, if I'm just a friend or a neighbor and somebody reaches out to me and like you said, they come to me and they tell me what they're feeling and they're like, I really don't know who to talk to and I just trust you. You know, I really love you. I trust you. And they put this on you. Like, how do you approach them? Like, what are the things that you should do as like the caring neighbor when somebody opens up about this? Well, it partly depends what they're telling you about. If they're telling you about, you know, the wish to kill themselves, then you send them right off to a good sure. psychiatrist or a psychologist. But if they're telling you about, you know, some of their unhappiness with their worries that they're not a good enough parent or they're not a good enough, they're not happy with their job, then I think you have to take that as a bid for friendship. And if you like the person, let them know that they did the right thing and that you want to talk to them more and that you're not so turned off by the fact that they told you about something that they're worried about that you're would prefer never to talk to them again. As a parent, you know, I have a 12 year old and a nine year old. And at times they kind of go off on their own and they're in their kind of own world chilling out. Um, But are there things as a parent I should be looking for as far as like detecting loneliness in my kids? Because every, you know, every kid wants some alone time, right? But like, how do I know when it's crossing that line and getting into the lonely territory where I should be concerned? Like, is there, are there some warning signs that you look out for, you tell parents to look out for? I would spend some one-to-one time with each child. And as you're sort of shooting the breeze and talking with them, I'd say, and so are you feeling okay about your friends? And do you feel like you have enough friends? Do you feel like they're really nice to you and you like them? Or are you a little bit worried that the relationships are a little shaky? Tell me all about that because I am I love it when you tell me about your life. And then, sorry, I'm throwing all these scenarios at you t- today. But these things I kind of like made it. notes about because there are things that come up. But thinking about everybody who might be listening to this or browsing through and seeing the topic and not even clicking on this because they're like, I don't know. I'm not lonely. I don't know anybody who's lonely. What do I care about this? Why should the general person who doesn't maybe feel lonely care about people in general feeling lonely this is to me this seems like it could be a problem as far as society as a whole goes but I wonder what your thought is just should everyone be concerned about this even if they're not necessarily having lonely feelings at the moment so my my view is that everybody feels lonely some of the time and they're just not quite admitting it if they're saying you know who cares about loneliness I never feel lonely I have heard that in some other countries that are hugely overpopulated in the cities And where family life, you know, sometimes 18 people in a family will live in the same house. That, in fact, loneliness is not the problem. Having enough time alone is the problem. But in our country, we have a huge percentage of people who live either in a very small nuclear family or alone. And those people really, I mean, that is a big social problem. And the more we have loneliness and social isolation as one of our problems, the more we have 
homicides and suicides and drug addiction and crime. It goes hand in hand with all those terrible problems. Yeah, and I want to go back to the pandemic real quick because I know we've talked about it a lot. But um, looking back on it now, and I, I really hope, and I'm, I, again, not getting political about any of this, but I really hope that there are people like yourself who are going back and looking at everything that happens as far as uh, the shutdowns, telling people to stay in, remote learning, all of this, and seeing what effect it had on us as a society. So we know going forward, like, what should we do if this ever happens again? Hopefully it never happens again. But what were some of the things that we did that maybe were not good and what were? Well, first of all, I think that if we're talking about children, the the private school system immediately put out tents so that the children could continue in private school, but they could be outdoors and masked. And I felt terrible that in the public school system, there often wasn't enough money to do that same thing to have, you know, tents over the playground so that children could sit there and be in class and, you know, use every single nice day that was over 48 degrees and uh, dress warmly and wear masks because children just did much better when they were actually there in person, as you have already mentioned. I actually asked every single patient I worked with what they thought they learned through the two years of COVID, what they wanted to keep from their COVID habits, and what they wanted to do differently in the future when COVID was gone. Many people felt that at first their life was kind of de-stressed, that they were able to enjoy their family more because they didn't have so many things that they were doing. And I think many American families had gotten in the habit of doing too much and having a kind of crazy, hectic lifestyle that was not conducive to comfort and joy. So I kind of liked that. And I think many people confirmed that that was true. But then as it rolled on and on, people started missing each other terribly. And I don't think, I think they were sort of too scared to put forth the effort to go visit, let's say their grandparents or their great grandparents. They were so protective of everybody that they ended up being more isolated than they needed to be. As the Norwegians say, there is no bad weather, there are just bad clothes. And so I, (laughs) (laughs) it seems to me if we learned to dress warmly, we all could have seen each other outdoors throughout the whole two years. But is there like one thing a lonely person can do right after listening to this to help themselves? Like, is there like, okay, this is what I should do right now. I want to put something into action and start walking down a different path here. So I think that people don't connect often enough with the people they like best that in a way they're all trying to keep a distance and not be too much of a bother. And it seems to me if you call up the people that you already know and like and sort of remind them that you miss them and that you want to hear how they're doing and that you want to tell them how you're doing, if you just connect with those people, that would already be a good move and would make you feel stronger about the moves that require more courage and bravery. Yeah. And I find too, that a lot of times, at least I'm just speaking for myself. I hesitate to do that, to reach out to people because I think, you know, people don't want to get a phone call from me. Like they're busy, they're this or that, but realizing and telling myself, like, how would I feel if somebody called me on the blue and said, Hey, I really want to talk to you. Um, and I missed it. Yeah. 
that would make me feel great. Like I would feel really good. And I think all of us want to feel chosen, right? Like we want to feel like loved and picked. So I would agree with you and I'm nowhere near the expert that you are, but I do think that getting over that, Hey, you know what? People do want to hear from you. Like they do want to hear that you care about them and that you're interested to know what's going on in their life. Right. I have an analogy that I make to people that we're all like these, you know, those tall signal towers that have red lights at the top. So airplanes won't hit them. But if you think about that as being like every person that when the red light goes off and you stop bothering people because you don't want to impose, they sort of survey all the towers and they see that your tower light has gone off and they assume that you don't care about them anymore. They don't assume that you've turned it off. So you won't be a bother. They just assume that you don't like them anymore. And so they might write you off, not because they didn't like you to begin with, but because you never called them up or texted them or said hello. And so you have to remember that a signal tower, that people are always looking at all the people they know to see who's reaching out. And if you're one of the ones who never reaches out, you're going to gradually lose friends. Wow. That is so well. That's a great analogy. I mean, that is so, and it is so true. Just taking that, being bold, right? Sometimes it's just being bold and coming at it with a great heart. And you know what, if you do have a great heart and you reach out to somebody and they're like, I don't want to talk to you, maybe that's an answer for you about that person, that relationship that you had in the first place, right? And can you tell us just one more time, I mentioned them really quick. Can you talk about your books really quick and where people can find those if they want to check those out? So the very first one in 96 called Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life is kind of hard to come by, although Amazon might have a couple of copies. (laughs) But the second one, The Lonely American is still in print. And that one you can get on Amazon or from Beacon Press, who published it. And then we wrote one book, which was about lasting marriages and how they look over the decades. And that was called Marriage in Motion. And I wrote it with my husband, which was kind of a scary proposition to write a book about marriage with your husband. Dr. Jacqueline Old, thank you so much for joining us on Better Off today. Take care. So it sounds like the key to fighting loneliness is realizing that you are not alone and you are not the only one to feel this way. So reach out to that special someone you have been meaning to all these months or years. Make time for yourself and for them. And by the way, they probably miss you too. Better Off Balance is a production of WGN-TV News. Jason Colon is the executive producer. Special thanks to Chip Brewster for helping us on the technical side. I'm Marcus Lashak, and make sure you subscribe to our show and tell a friend about it.